what are you gonna do one time when you come home and like you know jack's like eight or nine and you walk into his room and he's just got like a poster of the last jedi he's like you lied to me dad. <laughs> you lied to me dad how long, how long have you known it's like son I, did, I just wanted to protect you you can't protect me forever dad <laughs> everyone and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. And this month's season is just like the question, how do people think that Brad Pitt is a good actor? Well, it's a mystery. It's, of course, the culmination of our murder That's mystery slow. month. <laughs> start, start already. Sorry, really I'm sorry. That. I'm sorry. It's harsh. It's, it's harsh, but it's true. Uh, now, it is, of course, the culmination of our murder mystery month this week as we put the 1995 thriller Seven, Seven, Seven N. Seven N. Seven N. There we go. We're going to put Seven N on trial, whatever it's called. Is it the Magnificent Seven or is it the Seven Deadly Dwarfs? <laughs> seven Deadly Dwarfs. Is that a bad horror film? No, I'm just. I, I was. Uh, I was just thinking of all the seven things, and I, I was going to say seven deadly sins, but I thought seven deadly dwarfs would be more deadly. You got stabby, shooty, jokey. <laughs> anyway, right. Essentially, will this film be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list? Now, before we go on, our last film on trial was Clue. Ozzy, you judged that trial and deemed that it should be placed on the hit list. Now, you've since gone away and you watched the film, so. Did you make the right call, yes or no? I think yes. I think actually it's a lot of fun. You know, it's it's not a good film, but I think it probably was a good film at the time, and I thought it was just genuinely fun. It was laugh. Not laugh a minute, but definitely have a drink, enjoy this. This is all lighthearted fun that everybody in the cast is enjoying. So, yeah, it's on the right list. Okay, and uh, Alex or Joel, was there anything that you wanted to mention that you might have missed the chance to do last week? I'm quite glad I missed it, to be honest. Yeah, I I did watch Clue fairly recently, and I thought it was pretty shit, to be honest. I mean, (laughs) the (laughs) the only redeeming feature is really Tim Curry, and he is great in it, as he is in everything. But for me, the sort of like the (laughs) humor of like the male, some of the male leads, when they're sort of like, Letching after it, just yeah, like, put it, put it, put it at its time. Not, not. I'm, I don't. It's not like bad enough that you know it couldn't go on the hit list, but it just it ruined that sort of like happy comedy feeling it was going for by just being sort of like you know yeah. lecherous. Yeah, well, it felt aged definitely, but so many things do. Like but it felt line. aged, and it's still you know still lighthearted and funny, better than their fifty first dates. <laughs> well, <laughs> on that just, we can agree. <laughs> which is also aged, <laughs> but but in much shorter space of time, <laughs> much worse. Okay, thank you very much for that, Ozzy. Now on to the trial. Now all of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So acting in defence and trying to get this film placed on the hit list will be Dave and Joel. Dave is just like Morgan Freeman's character, Detective Somerset, a very velvety voice, and he's always banging on about fine culture. But we never actually see him indulging in fine culture. See, we know deep down, Dave, that you just sit around in your underpants and watch Love Island like the rest of us. Don't try and pretend. (laughs) I I have never tried to pretend otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Joel is just like Brad Pitt's character, Detective Mills. He's a young family man with a very happy home life, an unforgiving job. He lives in a rainy city. He can't tie his tie. He prepares for his arguments by reading cliff notes. And there's something about him that just makes you want to punch him really hard in the face. <laughs> Knew it was going to end badly as soon as that was yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And acting as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be me and Alex. I'm also just like Morgan Freeman's character, Detective Somerset. I'm so close to leaving my job that it essentially doesn't matter if I massively fuck up my last project. I just don't care. <laughs> 
And Alex is just like Gwyneth Kevin Paltrow. Kevin Spacey. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, oh, no, no, thanks. You know, I could yeah. have taken the low-hanging fruit, but I didn't. <laughs> very, very low-hanging fruit. I thought you were going to... Worse than Kevin Spacey is going to be the gluttony guy. Or do you know what I mean? <laughs> Sloth or something. <laughs> Sloth. Sloth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you are on your summer break. I was going to like the music <laughs> guy. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Alex is just like Gwyneth Paltrow's character, Tracy, a school teacher who spends a lot of his time with a blondish-haired, hot-headed, but very attractive man. <laughs> uh, yourself? What are you talking about? Uh, yeah, just leave it out there for the audience to guess. Think a lot of yourself there, Detective Mills. <laughs> now, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, though, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their real thoughts. Now, this week, Ozzy will be playing the most important role as he plays the judge, and he has to decide which list the film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him and not using his own opinion. Now, Ozzy is just like Kevin Spacey's character, John Doe. He pitches up late, <laughs> blags that he has spent a lot of time preparing, but really has just cobbled something together at the very last minute. <laughs> <laughs> which I'll go into more detail about later on. Uh, now, before we get started, I think we should give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is about. So let us spin the Wheel of Impressions. Okay, uh, welcome back, Joel. It has landed on yourself. So I'm what sure we do this here... photo is, is weighted or something. You know, <laughs> it's it's up, L- literally yeah. every single time I'm here, it's, it's me. It's you well, when you're not here as well, to be honest with you. <laughs> I've just replaced all of the pictures with your face. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe all the caramels, the freddos, just slowly lose <laughs> to one side. So, so what we do here is we read out the synopsis of, of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. How would we like Joel to read the synopsis? Mm-hmm. Um, Brad Pitt, like Brad Pitt at the end when he's getting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I use the word stressed loosely. <laughs> or what what about um uh, Kevin Spacey? Like like when he comes into the precinct and he's like detective <laughs> It's slightly more that? operatic. I watched, it, I watched it yesterday, Gav. I don't remember that bit. Is, he, he, like, this is, this uh, is seven uh, musical, right? Detective. He jazz hunts his way into that precinct. I'm sorry. I have just committed the right movie. film. Yeah, to be fair. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, uh, so uh, uh, to be honest with you, Morgan all of these it. are going to be shit. So, what about the guy who's just committed that atro- atrocious uh, murder with the gun in his mouth? You know, the guy who's basically like screaming and crying. Oh, the yeah, lust, lust guy, the lust guy, the lust guy, Leland Orsa. Take your pick, Joel. Take your pick. <laughs> I mean, but I can't even remember what that guy sounds like. He's just sobbing and crying. <laughs> 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 what am I to for added realism is just like really punch myself hard in the balls <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> <laughs> funnily enough that's what Leland Orsi used to do before every take yeah. right, so I try and like get into character it's just fuck <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> two detectives a rookie and a veteran hunt a serial killer who uses the deadly seven sins as his motives <laughs> Brilliant! It's more like what a kid sounds like when they when they, when they run up to me in this playground. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, well, well done. I think. Um, <laughs> I'm moving on. Ozzy, would you like to please kick off proceedings? Yeah, I'm fairly predictable with the way I like to start, but I would love um, a little bit of the defense to go ahead and uh, tell me what is so great about this film. Okay, I think coming into this film. As somebody who's viewing it from fresh eyes from today's time, if you like, and today's standards, I think they can still get a lot out of the film. I think this genre in particular, it has to be a very good film for it to work, just purely because, you know, murder mysteries, that type of thing, have been done so many times, unless it's something different, something new, then it just falls flat on its arse. I think we've seen that a lot of times when they've tried to remake old classics and they've just added in you know, maybe a new twist here and there. But this is completely different. It's basically two detectives, one young and one old, which is Brad Pitt, who plays uh, Detective Mills. And then you've got Morgan Freeman, who's um, Somerset. And they basically investigate a series of murders which are based on the seven deadly sins. 
Uh, so, for example, I think the first one they find is is Gluttony, who is basically a big fat guy who's forced to eat till his stomach explodes. It's kind of almost saw-like in some of the uh, murders that you kind of come across. You know, they're really kind of quite inventive and quite gruesome. Uh, then you've got like Gluttony, for example, who he has to cut off like a pound of his a pound of his own flesh. Sorry. So you can certainly see like how other Hollywood films since then have been inspired by some of the some of the use here. And yeah, I mean, essentially that's the story, kind of investigating who is carrying out these murders. And at the end, obviously, there's, there's a big twist. Um, and the twist is definitely one that you don't see coming. You know, I've asked so many people about this and not one of them has said, said to me they saw it coming. Uh, so essentially what happens at the end they drive the killer out into the middle of nowhere at his request um, and a delivery driver pulls up and hands them a package and it's Brad Pitt's wife's head um, and that is meant to represent uh, one of the final seven deadly sins and then obviously Brad Pitt goes into a bit of a rage and shoots Kevin Spacey and that's meant to represent like the last one which I think is Wrath. It kind of it's almost like the first of its kind in one of those films where it ends on a very kind of sour note. There's no happy ending and there's no kind of uplifting, you know, ending where they catch the killer and it's everything's right in the world. Again, it's very much a kind of, as I say, a, a sour ending. It's one of those where you walk out the cinema and you kind of feel a little bit sick. Again, I'll, I'll compare it to, to Saw, like when the killer gets up at the end and you're like, Jesus, you know, I didn't see that coming. It's very much a similar type of twist to that in terms of like the shock value and how people, um, you know, reacted to it. But I'll come back to what I said at the start in that if you watch this today, even though it's, you know, getting on for 20 years old now, it still very much holds up. You know, there's no kind of familiar tropes or anything like that here. Uh, Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt very much play off each other very well. You know, I suppose you could say the one old and one young detective is a familiar thing but it, it works here very well and um, so I think overall you know for a murder mystery this was very much kind of a, a fresh take and the big twist at the end is is what everybody talks about and, and rightly so I think it's one of these movies that does stand the test of time very well okay well there you go it's a surprising twist it stands the test of time very well uh Alex I think everyone sort of remembers seven especially because it's got quite iconic death sequences like the murders of the seven deadly sins are memorably shot <clears throat> but when you re-watch it I mean it was 95 that this came out and it would have been shocking I think at the time but when you re-watch it the murders are actually kind of overcome the plot to be honest so that murder mystery element that idea of like figuring out who the killer is takes a backseat really to these very and they are impressive you know I'm not going to say that there aren't good qualities in seven well, you've got these, so like the first scene, which is very impactful, where you come in and you see this enormous guy who's, you know, been forced to kill himself through eating spaghetti. And it's just very well done. It's David Fincher, do you know what I mean? So it's, it's like, it's well done. You've got the cockroaches. You really, you really feel like the sense of it. And then, you know, you've got these different setups that go on and on and on. Obviously, you've got, uh, I mean, five of them. And I have to say the impact lessens as the film goes on and they overcome the plot because you have to see these. But obviously that means that Detective John Mills and the Somerset aren't actually doing very much. Like they, they don't really actually have that much agency in the plot because there's, there's a bit when they sort of figure out where they might be and there's the chase sequence. But really, apart from that, they kind of do nothing and they just walk from murder to murder. You know, there's interesting bits in between the characters, but I'd say that one of the greatest strengths of Seven is these like quite big set piece murders that you walk in and you see these you know, quite graphically majorly fucked up ideas, you know, and while they're impressive at the time, actually, when you're in, for a murder mystery, they kind of overpower it and sort of makes the actual the, the thread that should be taking you through the whole film is a bit isn't as strong as it should be, mainly because, you know, you've got, you know, two three more sins to see you know it's not like a, a game of cat and mouse are they going to catch you don't really feel like there's much danger of them catching the killer pretty much all the way through the film okay well there you go so it's cat and mouse but you don't really care about it until the end because you already know when 
what, what what's going to happen um david can, can you uh please captain please tell me <laughs> sorry a bit of a rebuttal to that is that why should i why should i care Where, where's the, the suspense if you know there's going to be seven of them you know and what keeps it exciting there's definitely suspense here and although it is when you've got like a serial killer like this and especially after morgan freeman's rumbled his motive after the second killing which is greed Morgan Freeman does his research, he looks into it, and he's like, this, this is seven deadly sins, I'm convinced of it. You know, we got two, this is going to be the seven deadly, this is his motive. So it's the detectives that drive this forward. It's Morgan Freeman in particular, who I'd say is the star of this, and he is the stellar detective, he's the experienced one, he's the smarter one, he's the one who's hot on the trails of the serial killer. The cat and mouse element that you might normally see is intriguing and is fascinating because no one seems to be ahead of the other. The serial killer is not necessarily ahead of the detectives. You know, you feel they're getting that little bit closer each and every time. They only just miss him um, when it comes to stopping lust. You know, they arrive on the scene of the crime moments after it's happened. You know, they, they feel like they're getting better at this. So they feel like they're getting closer, but they're not ahead of him. He's not ahead of them. It's very much like they're playing off each other. I mean, Morgan Freeman's character, Detective Somerset, you know, the, the serial killer, though deranged, is very intelligent. He's very articulate. And you feel that they are quite evenly matched. It's that it's the cat and mouse game, but the cat and the mouse have the same intellect. They have yeah, the same okay. skill set. So yeah. that's where the intrigue comes. That's why you're on edge. That's why it's so suspenseful because, you know, one one misstep from from Somerset, from Morgan Freeman, and you know, you got you got another murder on your hands. You know, he's got to find this guy. There's two more murders. Towards the end of the film, there's the final two that he's trying to prevent. And that's where it becomes suspenseful. It's like, you know, but the serial killer hands himself in. And it's like, there's something going on here. No, he's got a plan. That is why there's tension throughout. You know, you just you just feel like yeah. these guys are just vibing off each other. Okay, so, so there you go. It's, I mean, so it's, does it feel like quite a clever film then in that regard? I mean, Alex mentioned that, I don't know, paraphrasing a little bit, but it's almost too clever because the, the whole regard is trying to make the sin as, as gross or as, you know, an interesting sort of mm. take on the way the sin could be portrayed. Yeah, I mean, I know we're doing this as part of Who Done It Month. It's 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 kind of underselling it to call it a Who Done It. It's a thriller. It's a very dark, very gritty. I mean, even the way the film is shot, not just the subject matter, everything about this is dreary and it is bleak and it is almost film noir esque. It is a very dark film, and with that aspect, it's kind of you kind of feel that you know, you, although the murders are gory, they are gruesome. They are a lot of it is power of suggestion. You know, you're not actually seen. You don't, actually, you don't actually see the murders being committed like you do with Saw. You know, with Saw, you see these horrific things happening to people and fall before your eyes. With Seven, you just find the bodies after. And it's kind of like just the, imagine, the imagination, the way they describe what the victim would have gone through, the yeah. way that the murder scene is set out. You, the imagination runs wild, and it's, it's kind of worse in a way. So it's very cleverly done in that respect, that it doesn't show you too much, but it shows you enough that it's terrifying and very impactful especially when you start getting the, the, the mental visuals, as it were. Yeah. Uh, Gav, it's terrifying, the mental visuals. It's, I'm, oh, 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 Alex, either one of you, really. I don't mind. Yeah, no, I, like, like I said, I mean, not to repeat what I was saying, but the visuals are, yeah, when you're actually in the murder, they are quite frightening. But I just, um, I do disagree with Dave when he's talking about the tension, like, you know, this, that there isn't a cat and mouse thing, really, because the killer is so obviously far ahead of the two detectives that there really isn't that tension that you normally find in a whodunit or in, in a, you know, even in a thriller where, you know, they're trying to chase, they just basically keep turning up to these crime scenes after it's happened. They've no real way of getting ahead of it. There's one time in the film, one time in the film when um, they they track down his library records and he uses a contact in, you know, Somerset uses a contact in the FBI and they actually have a chance and they do go to his apartment and there's a, a chase sequence. And again, you know, the visuals of a chase sequence are well done. But the problem is that he just evades them. Like Morgan Freeman has no chance of running after them anyway. And Brad Pitt just gets a tire iron to, the, to his face. And that's that's kind of it. So apart from that, really, the killers in the driving seat all of the way through the film. And, you know, that's maybe a choice that they did plot wise, but it does massively reduce that normal tension you get. There's no like, oh, are they going to get in this time? Because they're just like, oh, someone else has died and here you are at Pride. And, you know, they're basically, Mills and Somerset are just looking at this dead body like shit. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, shit. 
Like, well, I, I, I don't know. And then they, they pick up some clues that have been left by the killer specifically to lead them to the next place, not to catch him, but to lead him through a merry chase. And they just keep turning up at these places and being like, wow, this is fucked up. Do you know what I mean? Like, have you seen something like this? No, no, no. It's massively fucked up. You know, anyway, <laughs> wait till the next one comes on. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I've got a feeling it's going to be fucked up. You know, so apart from that one time when they track his library records, they are not anywhere near catching him. And even at the end of the film, you realize they were, I mean, that. They're nice characters, and you like Morgan Freeman, but they're completely inept at like yeah, catching yeah. the killer all the way through. Like they've, they're not even close. Okay, um, Dave, they're not even close. They, they, they're inept. This is just quickly. They're not inept. I mean, you know, Brad Pitt clearly has an anger issue, hence why he becomes the sin of wrath in the in the grand scope of the serial killer's plan. Uh, Morgan Freeman is not inept by any stretch. He, he's on it. He's working it out as we go. Give him a little more time. You feel he'd get there, and he would catch this guy one way or another. But remember what the kind of film we're dealing with. It's not, I know we're doing it as part of Who Done It Month, but it's not a Who Done It like we've seen before, where the murderer has a discernible motive that we as an audience or even the detectives on screen can be working out as we go. This is a serial killer film, you know, so you know there are going to be repeat murders. It's not like one has happened and now we've got to piece the clues together and work out who it was. It's like, no, we've got to work against the clock to find this guy because he's going to do it again. We know he is. And the motive that he's got, you know, although I'm sure he will have one, it might not be something that a rational minded person think of. You know, this, this person's clearly got some demons and some issues that they're working through. And that's why it's a very different kind of film that we're dealing with. And as with most serial killer films, whether you look at Sands of the Lambs or, or Son of Sam, you know, you, you, you don't get the serial killer until the end. Otherwise, the film is over. You know, you can't get too close. You, you get you, you you skirt by them, you know. You maybe catch a glimpse of them. You get closer, but you don't get them t- until the end. Otherwise, you got no film. It's just a different kind of whodunit, a different kind of murder mystery than we've seen before. Okay, okay. I mean, that, that's that's good. I mean, what about uh? We talked about the visuals that it's 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 well shot, and uh, that seems to be quite quite well agreed on. It's well shot. It's a high budget film. We've talked about the premise. Um, the the defense said that it's quite novel. It's pretty sick and sadistic. And is that does that feel contrived as a concept? Let the, I'll let the prosecution start the next point. If uh, if you want, if you've got anything you want to jump in on, yeah. Can I just respond to a few things that people have said? So Joel mentioned something right at the very beginning. He said that this is very shocking, and I think that is really true. That is like Bob on the money. And Alex also mentioned something about focusing too much on the deaths. And I think that's also true as well. I think that both David Finchner and the writer, Andrew Kevin Walker, were very new to the game. This was like their first and second film, respectively. And they, I think, concentrated too much on the style of a substance. They wanted it to be aesthetically pleasing and they wanted it to be shocking, but they concentrated too much on how it looked and the murders or the deaths that they left a lot to be desired when it comes to the script. The script becomes so weak that the actions and the motives of the killer and the deductions made by the detectives are completely ridiculous, unbelievable, and actually improbable. If, if I can, I'd just like to quickly go over the seven uh, deadly sins in the order that they happen. So we start off with gluttony. John Doe feeds this guy plastic chippings from the victim's floor, which once discovered would reveal that the detectives would have to move the victim's fridge to reveal a clue to the murder, which is a bit of a, a leap for the detective to make, in my opinion. Then there's greed, a lawyer who is murdered by removing a pound of his flesh, but this requires the lawyer's wife to notice that there's a painting in his office which is hung upside down. Once again, improbable detecting was required, but the, the results, essentially, they find prints to the assumed killer who actually turns out to be an actual next victim, who is Sloth. Now, this is where it kind of goes off the rails a little bit. The first two at least had a meaning. This this guy is a rapist and an all-round piece of shit, and essentially, he's tied, <laughs> he's tied to a bed, I think, I think rapist pretty much just covers it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's the, the stuff like as well. When he goes into a bar, he doesn't lift the toilet seat up when he wants to go for a wee. Just you know, a like piece of yeah, shit. <laughs> real piece of shit. <laughs> but like, so why? Like in the first one, Doe is punishing the man for being fat. The second guy is punishing him for being greedy. How has this guy done anything that's slothful? It just doesn't make any sense. Then Somerset, as Alex mentioned, uses a contact in the FBI to check that this guy's been renting Paradise Lost and Canterbury Tales. And 
I don't know why, but he inexplicably realizes that this guy's the killer. And this is just, John Doe not only rents the books from the library, he he doesn't buy them, but he gives a fake name, John Doe, but he doesn't give a fake address. He gives his real address. Once again, seems a little bit improbable. And then this is is where it all gets a bit ridiculous. So John Doe, who is so meticulous and methodical, so much so that he imprisoned and tortured a man for an entire year and purposely planned for this guy to be revealed as only the third victim. But the only information he has on his next three murders in a room full of evidence and volumes upon volumes of handwritten notes is a grainy black and white photo of an unidentified blonde woman and a receipt to a sex shop. You know, his his flat was inexplicably and unexpectedly raided, which wasn't part of the plan. So it's not like he was purposely concealing information on the off chance that he was discovered. I just think it was a bit of a lazy plot point. And then you've got Lust, similar to Sloth. Just doesn't make any sense. The victim was a sex worker who was performing sex for money. I don't think that constitutes as Lust. I think the screenwriter was just looking for that shock value. And they made this, this murder like very unnecessarily gruesome. And yeah, I just I just felt that John Doe could have found a man who was cheating on his wife instead of going to a brothel. It just yeah, it, it just doesn't add up again. Pride, John Doe murders the Pride victim. Then hours later, he murders Tracy, Mills's wife. He puts her head in a box. He finds a delivery driver who is willing to deliver it to an extremely remote location on the same day. Then he gets in a taxi to the police station. All of this happens whilst he's covered in Tracy's blood and once again I just think they're going for shocking rather than realistic and then Somerset opens the box even an idiot like me would think oh hang on there might be a bomb in this maybe I shouldn't open this maybe I should wait for somebody else to do it and then we've got Wrath Mills is Wrath because I don't know why (laughs) sorry I've just got I've just got the end of the film where like Brad Pitt's holding a gun at Kevin Spacey. Morgan Freeman comes back and like, "What's in the box?" He's like, oh, "I didn't open it." Open <laughs> <laughs> the box. No. I, I, I didn't open it. What? Yeah, no, I didn't open it. <laughs> just cuts it. Dangerous. Three days later. <laughs> three days later, was filling in paperwork. He's like, "Oh, the report's back on the contents of the box." <laughs> what is it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like this, Co- come in, come in, Mills. <laughs> come I can just imagine a bomb disposal robot. Yeah. Like Johnny Five, wheeling over to the box and then picking up a head. Kevin <laughs> Spacey in the car on the way back, like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so for me, like, the victims are supposed to be representative of the seven deadly sins, not the perpetrators. So why would Mills be wrath and envy? Doe is envy because he quickly shoehorns in at the end that he's envious of Mills in his life. Once again, it feels unbelievable. Mills has only just joined the precinct. Doe has been planning these murders for over a year, and you're telling me that he would just start a plan and then hope that the detective assigned to the case would be really hot-headed and have a nice home life. It just feels like a massive stretch. I just think that they, if they would have spent more time polishing the script and working on the character motivations and less time thinking about shocking revelations and aesthetics, then this script could have been brilliant. It could have been Oscar-worthy. But instead, they go for sheep shock. What am I trying to say? Sheep shock. go for sheep shock value. A lot lot of shots of sheep. Yeah, wow. Too much sheep. Give them what they love. Give them more sheep. But it just ends up becoming unbelievable and nonsensical. Dave, too many sheep, so it's unbelievable and nonsensical. Uh, I saw your pen going up there. uh, Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I can, I can rebut any of these points that Gav, Gav is, is coming out with here. The one I'll come to last, the, the wrath and the envy thing, which, as Gav says, seems all too convenient if you look at it that way. I think what happened is he changed his plan. He, you know, poses as a police photographer. He runs into them in the stairwell. He's trying to get closer to see how close are the detectives on my trail to catching me. Brad Pitt just rounds on this guy. He thinks he's just another press photographer. He, like, throws his camera, pushes his down the stairs. He doesn't know who he is. At that point, John Doe realizes... Forget whatever I had in mind for Wrath. This is much better. And he starts following this guy. And I think, you know, the guy, he rolls with the punches. Is is That's why, you know, the cat and mouse game we were talking about, he's not like he's got the set. There's not, there's not that many clues. He leads them to the next one, but he won't tell them what he's thinking next because he's probably, he's probably got an idea, but he's not put it into action yet. But aside from Sloth, that's the only one that is really premeditated, I would say. You know, he's got an idea. He's got the cogs in the works. But I think certainly with wrath and envy, he may he probably had a plan and he changed it last minute because he found something that worked better. And with regards to the victims not really fitting the crime, you know, as, as Gab says, you know, the, the sex worker being killed. Uh, 
it's not just the victim that's supposed to personify the, the, the seven deadly sins. It's the situation in which they're found, and it's a demonstration of the seven deadly sins. You would order the guy that, that committed the murder with a gun to his head, Leland Orson's character we spoke about before, is as much a victim because he's come through this horror, horrific experience that he's going to have to live with for the rest of his days. You know, he's as much a victim, and it's really more the scenario in which the victims are found that is the demonstration of the sin rather than the victim themselves which is why you know brad pitt's character you know there is a crime committed there he although he personifies wrath doesn't need to die he he's fit the bill he's demonstrated the sin he doesn't have to die as a result though he still it's it's the thing about this film is that the serial killer wins which is why it's such a bleak ending his plan is realized all seven deadly sins get acted out so that is he he demonstrates envy he gets he triggers Brad Pitt and gets him to demonstrate wrath. That's the final sin. So it's the demonstration of the sin, not the victim's identity per se. There we go. And, Hass, and you, I, uh, I can hand? I can rebut any other points in there. Yeah, we well, might I might get you to revisit something. So you I threw your hands up for a second there, Alex, and then took it back down. Is that because yeah. the defense's response was so <laughs> it, so it well was. planned and inadequate that you? Mean... <laughs> I just I just embarrassed to even speak. Uh, no, I. I I thought the, um, I mean, I, I probably shouldn't say this because I'm on the prosecution, but the bit where he changes the plan is because his flat is raided. So he's got a plan he's going to carry out, but then his flat's raided. So that's why he then changes the plan and goes to Envy. And it's like a, he has to think, I think he says it on the phone when he rings him, I'm going to have to change my plan now and, and, and make it new. Like, I, that, you know, that's fine for me, but it's obviously not a good sign that there's three different people here and we've all got a different, his like explanation for what happened towards the end of the film seems to me I mean, that... we haven't there's a right one and a wrong one Dave's is right <laughs> i think i'm right there's a right one and two wrong ones this guy's flat was absolutely chock full of evidence and it had like dozens upon dozens of these handwritten notes of things that he was going to do and there was no evidence about even his suspected uh, you know, last three kill uh, killings or last three victims. There was well, well, sorry, there was one black and white photo and a receipt, but there was nothing about the other two. You know, this guy's been planning these murders for over a year, and there's no evidence at all. I think it would have been better if there would have been evidence. The busies went straight over to like the last two victims, tried to you know like help them or tried to protect them, and then it was revealed that it, oh, actually he's changed his plan because he knew that they were they were onto him. But instead, it's just sort of like, oh no, you like it sounds like a spoiled kid. You spoiled my, you spoiled my plan. Now I'm gonna have to change it. It's really annoying. Very That's different exactly film, though. <laughs> That's essentially it. I mean, without the childish voice, he's like, yeah, oh, you, you've goosed my plans. I'm gonna have to do something different. Watch this space. So um, watch this space. Watch this space. Hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, <ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, what Alex is saying about the different explanation is, like, I get where he's coming from, but this film. It doesn't drip feed you the details. I mean, there was, a, by example, there was a, um, a poll that was done a little while ago online, and people people were asked where, in which film is Seven, in which city is the film Seven set, and people were saying, oh, it's in New York, it's in Philadelphia, it's in Baltimore. The answer is we don't know. The city is not disclosed. At no point are you told what city this is in. You're not told the first names of some characters. The police captain is just referred to as the captain, even in the credits. He doesn't get a name you're not drip-fed details because they're irrelevant. So the different explanation that people come to is the end is because you're just allowed to go with the flow. You, you know what you need to know to make this story work. You don't need to have subplots. There are no subplots to this. It's just the main story. You don't need to have loose ends tied up. You don't need to have every detail. Like, just very quickly on that, like, it's fine to not have the setting be, you know, completely named and it's fine to not have characters named but an important plot point for why he changed his plan that is quite different to those two but say. we know because it got rumbled yeah but i mean three of us all disagree kind of a little bit on why that happened well i thought i thought both you and dave agreed fully that he got rumbled so he changed his plan mm -hmm. so i've got in my notes that you agreed fully with the event no on a serious <laughs> note like I think I think I grasp you know I grasp the story I grasp that things happen and I don't think plot points are always you know the best to dwell on, um, but I've made a note of them so your 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 grievances are noted <laughs> and they will be duly uh, duly considered uh, as we move forward. Um, 
let's uh, talk about something different. And, you know, I think the story is a massive point of it, and I think we've covered it quite well. What about the acting? You know, there's three arguably very good actors as the lead roles in this. Arguable will be the word, I think. <laughs> <laughs> three very famous actors. Well, yeah, I mean, you've, you've got Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey is in it sparingly. He's, he's in it more at the end. Uh, but what kind of little screen time he does have, I think he does it very well. Um, he's very believable as the serial killer. You can kind of tell that he cares about his work, if you like. Uh, Morgan Freeman, again, it's very hard to find something you know that he's bad in. He's just an extremely solid actor. He gives solid performances that are believable in a lot of things, especially around that time frame. And I, th I think he's just very good at certain roles and maybe like a kind of serious police officer detective is one of those roles that he's very comfortable in and you can definitely see it in this. Brad Pitt, like I personally think he's fine in this. Like all the top directors in the world wouldn't hire Brad Pitt if they didn't have faith in his acting ability. You know, it doesn't matter what Gav thinks. But they just they just wouldn't hire him. Um, you know, it's not like he's Adam Sandler and he's just busting out these Netflix films. He's getting hired by the actual top directors in the world. So he must have some acting ability. And I think he, he does it pretty well here. Like, he, he is a hot-headed young guy. Um, the final scene, maybe he hams it up a little bit too much. But overall, he kind of plays the kind of cocky you know, hot-headed to young detective quite well in this. And I think him and Morgan Freeman, again, have a very, very good chemistry. Like, they kind of balance each other out almost, you know, where one guy's kind of like, you know, let's just jump in and do this. And Morgan Freeman's like the balancing act almost, like the keeps the scales like weighted. And um, so all in all, I think those are the three main characters and they share the most screen time. Obviously, you've got uh, Gwyneth Paltrow as... Um, Brad Pitt's wife, she's not in it much at all, really. Mainly just the um, seventh head. Yeah, she's mainly just there for <laughs> she's kind She's fantastic of, at it, though. <laughs> <laughs> the emotional value, if you like. Um, but yeah, it, it centers around those three characters. And I can remember watching it for the first time and being, you know, blown away by the film and the performances. And especially now that I've got older and I've watched it again, probably only for the second or third time. It's not like I've seen this a lot. You know, I, I still enjoyed all the performances. Uh, enjoyable performances. Everybody does well, especially Brad Pitt. He does a great job as a young, hot-headed cop. Let's hear from uh, um, maybe Dave. Would you go? <laughs> <laughs> go on, Gav. I can see you absolutely raring to go, fuming at the no. mere mention of Brad Pitt. And <laughs> in I'm, I'm not going to disagree with anything Joel said about Morgan Freeman or Kevin Spacey, I think the two of them saved this from being a mediocre film with superb turns. Unfortunately, the bulk of the film focuses on Brad Pitt's character, Detective Mills. And I'm sorry, he is truly awful here. I would massively argue with what Joel said. The reason that he gets hired is because he's, he's a draw. You know, you've got people like John Wayne or Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone. These Whoa. are good actors. What are we saying about Arnold Schwarzenegger? So you just tanked your own argument no, there straight away. No, no, no. But no, I've always said that Arnold Schwarzenegger isn't a good actor, but he's in enjoyable films. And I think the reason that he gets cast is because people want to watch him. The reason that Brad Pitt got cast, especially in the 90s, was that people wanted to watch him. You know, he was a really attractive guy. That people he's got a great ass. He's got a great ass. <laughs> you know, people want to see that. They want to see that ass running <laughs> in jeans. After a serial killer, that's what people want. And David Fincher was giving it to them. Uh, now, like, Brad Pitt spends most of the film reading his lines like he's just seen them for the very first time. And I know this is quite early on in his career, so some of this can be excused from being green and new to the game. But the final scene, the culmination of the movie, the big reveal, what Joel mentioned before, he even said, oh yeah, it wasn't that great, he hams it up a bit. This is the one scene where you really need him to try and express some sort of emotion. It ends up, for me, being ruined and quite comedic due to his poor acting. 
and like you can all disagree, but I've shown you it. Like, I've just got out of David context. Fincher talking to Brad before they go on the scene. Like, can you just try and give us an emotion, Brad? Just, <laughs> just an emotion. Just come on, it's the final Brad, day. Brad, Brad uh, uh, just up, imagine Brad. his acting coach just being like, "Okay, what's in the box?" Was it a box? No, no, What's no. In the no, box? Was it a box? <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, you can't defend that, guys. Please. And just wrapping it up, Gwyneth Paltrow's wasted. She's introduced really well at the beginning, but ends up receiving less and less screen time, only to end up being literally a head in a box. She's just there to be another victim. So, yeah, all, all in all, doesn't matter how good Morgan Freeman and Kevin Spacey are, it's tanked by Brad Pitt's fucking woefulness. Uh, Dave, Dave, you want to come back on against any of that? Uh, yeah, I agree with pretty much everything Joel was saying. I think he uh, he's hit the the, uh, the nail on the head there. What uh, about your Kevin Spacey? Uh, what about your um, <laughs> what about your impression? My, my Kevin, uh, my Kevin Spacey impression. Oh, oh, just whatever. Yeah, <laughs> impression <laughs> of Kevin Spacey. <laughs> ah, right. What are my impressions of Kevin Spacey? I'm not allowed to do that impression anymore. <laughs> Society says no. <laughs> no, um, I, I agree what uh, Joel was saying about Kevin Spacey's performance. He is really the third main character in this. All the others, I see what Gav's saying. Gwyneth Paltrow's not in this very much, but none of the other supporting cast are. And that's all they are, supporting cast. The film hinges on the two detectives. Uh, even, like I said, Kevin Spacey, arguably the next character in the pecking order, is still, he's only in it for the last 15 minutes, really. He doesn't get a great deal of screen time. It's on them. And it's on the strength of your two leads. Everyone else, the supporting cast are great, but they're not in it that much. Morgan Freeman is a solid leading actor. And I'd say, you know, if you're going to pick a weak link out of the out of the cast, it's going to be Brad Pitt. You know, look at the people you've got here. Look at this cast list. It is, of course, going to be Brad Pitt that is the weakest link. And I think he's done a disservice by what also could have been his greatest gift for this film, working alongside Morgan Freeman. You know, although you might be able to... to work with Morgan Freeman and it's great to appear opposite him he's also going to steal a lot of focus the man's got presence for days and you know with just like the with just the raise of an eyebrow he can outact anybody off the screen I think no one looks great next to Freeman but I think Brad Pitt holds his own the last scene I admit is a little it could be a little hammy but I don't think you find it funny just because of the the horror that is unfolding before your eyes you know when you if you're engrossed in the film, if you're if you've kept up and you understand what is happening, you have the same revelation as Detective Mills has the revelation that all is not well. His wife is not safe at home as he thought she was, and Kevin Spacey is alluding to something. And Morgan Freeman, you know, he goes miles, he got well, not miles away, but he goes a fair distance to open this box. And as he's he looks inside, we don't see what's in it. We just see his reaction. It's really well shot, and just him running back across the desert trying to get to Mills before the penny drops what was in the box you know it's it's a dramatic scene it's really well shot you know you can't deny david fincher knows how to how to direct a film um perhaps a little hammy but if that's the the biggest criticism we can level at the acting in, in as a whole i think the film's done pretty well allow me to hammy. level uh, <laughs> allow me to level some more criticism at the film <laughs> you, you are allowed. I, I okay. shall allow it. <laughs> Thank you. Gav's right about Brad Pitt. Like, um, it is. You, you're watching Seven, and you do think about the film that could have been if if it had been someone else. You think about Edward Norton, and you just think, damn Seven. You just think Seven would have been such such a better film. Uh, I, I wouldn't say. You know, Dave was talking about uh, Morgan Freeman stealing the focus, and he's right. You know, he does. You know, with a raised eyebrow, with a, just a sort of a, his pauses. With his the, the way he delivers some lines is really beautiful in this film. Like it's one of his best performances. But Brad Pitt like does what I think is an incredibly annoying thing is I think he's trying to steal the focus back. So every scene he's in, he's like he's rattling something or he's tucking his tie in or he's got a coffee and he's throwing it and he's do, and he's got all these little bits and bobs <laughs> that are just <laughs> it's just but he's always like doing something or he's doing or he's just he's trying to steal the attention back and, and bring it back to himself. You know, it's obviously his debut role. And I think imagine the mass screen, like Morgan's like, ah, just fuck off with your fucking coffee. Like, <laughs> just, just put, put your fucking coffee down. down. Yeah. But he's, Why are you he's, eating crisps? Why are you eating crisps? <laughs> he's, he's always doing something and it does steal your attention, but away from Morgan Freeman. And it's like, that is the absolute thing you shouldn't be doing. Your attention should be on Morgan Freeman. So I found him I found him quite annoying in the film. It is like the, the end, that is meant to be an amazing end to the film. It's the real 
summing up of everything and you are just thinking like what's he doing do you know what I mean which does take you out of it so like and I would say Morgan Freeman's great I actually thought Gwyneth Paltrow's amazing um like Dave was saying that bit where he sort of looks out of the box and goes and is shocked that's that's amazing and there's also a really nice scene where Gwyneth Paltrow and Morgan Freeman are talking about an unborn child it's a really 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 well done scene and especially when you know Morgan Freeman says you know about your unborn child you know you could could ever get rid of it but don't tell him about it if you do decide to keep it spoil him every day and as you know she bursts into tears it's really beautifully done and it and and it's almost like you know I know I'm not on the prosecution but you go from that scene with Morgan Freeman and Gwyneth Paltrow and then you jump back into that sort of scene with um Brad Pitt and he's just doing the old shaky hands thing and it's just it's quite annoying and uh yeah so so I would say Brad Pitt is a is a bit of a does tank the film And, and you just think what could have been if it had been someone of Edward Norton's caliber Okay, Brad Brad Pitt's acting was the pits. Um, it would have been better off with Edward Norton. Anyhow, I think uh, I've heard quite quite a lot about most things here. Does anyone have any sort of little final points which they really want to get off the chest that they've not touched on? Or I will. Um, um, so the the title of the film S E Seven E N, like it's pretty badass, isn't it? So. Put a number in. <laughs> Put a number in. I don't give a shit. Do they? And the credits go up to you know they were they were ripping up the rule book really weren't they? Yeah, all the, <laughs> you'll love these credits, Ozzy. They will. Mess <laughs> oh, you oh, on mine. Yeah. I've obviously Ozzie seen the title, and I think the font is pretty incredible. So yeah, it's ballsy, isn't it? Like if that if that was your like GCSE homework, you wouldn't put like a number in the title of it. So <laughs> oh, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. The, the the credits try and make it look like it's a serial killer scrapbook. But actually, if you freeze frame on some of the things that are appearing, because there's a lot of passages of text with bits redacted. But if you actually pause on what the bits of text are, they're like, there's <laughs> like a, a journal about pregnancy or something about like eyesight or, you know, like, <laughs> it's just, you'd think it'd be They've something. They've just got about, a book. Yeah, it's just a book. It's, just, it's got <laughs> nothing to do with the murders at all. It's not Paradise Lost. It's not, you know, Canterbury Tales. It's just like. Your Just baby and you. <laughs> to be fair to them, when they release this in the cinema, I don't think they expect to make people to, to be freeze-framing the credits to see if they could make out what was redacted underneath. I've made a note I was there. Just interested. <laughs> Fincher just doesn't have the attention to detail that somebody, you know, one of the greats like Wes Anderson has. Yeah, know, or the person who did the speed credits. Yeah, yeah, I'll, be honest say, yeah. I'll be honest with you. That, that journal, though, it must have had some relevance because they, they got a guy working on that journal for two months. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fifteen grand. Fifteen yeah. grand. Yeah. <laughs> I'll fucking I'll fucking write a bunch of journals for fifteen grand in two yeah. months. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, two Jesus. months. Uh, so I, th- he must That's have. That's what had you a get point. paid to do anyway. You're meant to be writing journals. <laughs> That's true. Children. Have some faith in the redacted material. He must have had a point in there somewhere. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you very much. Does somebody have a quiz? I do. I do. Number right. quiz. The- uh, it is, it is. It's obviously about the seven deadly sins. So I have uh, seven questions here based on the s- films and the seven deadly sins. I'm going to tell you what the seven deadly sin is. Then I'm going to give you a hint to what the film is. And if you get that hint correct, then uh, you get to answer a bonus question. I've actually put some thought into this quiz this time. So uh, you better enjoy it. Number one, pride. So I'll give you the hint. Can you find the synonyms to make what film has pride in it? Blemish mush. Oh, and also, uh, if you can guess, if you can guess Gav's joke before he says it, I will give you an extra five points. <laughs> blood, blood. Blemish. What's a blemish? Smudge. Spot. Mm, bit more. If you get hurt badly, you have a blemish. Grace. A bruise. Cut. Yeah, but you know, a cut. But if what will turn into with time? Gash. Scar. Gab. Scarface. Yeah. What's the joke, Gav? Um, oh, that Alex has got a scar in his yeah. head. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Gav, you get the extra point. What, in... uh, what, what was the mush bit then? Mush, mush blemish, mush, oh, Scarface. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In Scarface, Gav, what does the slang word yayo mean? Oh, I don't know. Coke? It does mean Coke. Well, good, good guess. <laughs> <laughs> it does mean Coke. Well done to Gav. You get two points. Right, the next one, greed. Okay, and your hint is Barrier Road. Wall Street. 
Yeah, well done, Dave. It is Wall Street indeed. And your bonus question is, what is the actual correct famous quote about greed in Wall Street? I want to say greed is good, but I've got a suspicion of it. (laughs) It's not actually, it's one of those things, it's not actually the full. Does anyone else know what the full uh, quote is? Yeah, it's lunch is for wimps. (laughs) It is. It's uh, greed for want of a better word is good. Small technicality. Yeah, but anyway. Cut off the guff in the middle there. <laughs> Get to the point, Douglas. Come on. <laughs> right. Uh, number three is lust. Dancing sleepy time. 70s Boogie word. There you go, Joel. Gets it. Well done, Joel. Uh, right. And your bonus question is, and to the nearest inch, and I'll give you between. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll give you an inch either okay, way, Joel. Otherwise, I'll have to give it to someone else. How long was Mark Wahlberg's original dick prosthetic in the film Boogie Nights? Ooh. They changed it. I reckon he went big, so I'm going to go for nine. Oh, I'm afraid, Joel, you weren't within an inch there, so I'm going to have to pass it on to the next person on my screen, who is Dave. I'll go on Aussie. I'll put you in. Did, did they go bigger? Did I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to say. You're going to you're gonna have to say to the nearest. If it, and it's more than one inch out, so I'm going to say 11. Okay. Uh, Dave? I'm going to go the other way. Let's say eight. Okay. And Gav? I think it's 13 or 14. I think it's in my, uh, 13 or 14. Ooh, I'm going to give it to Ozzy because it was 12. Oh, yes. just 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 <laughs> I'm going to sit there with a solid... Solid foot long. (laughs) I think they did it and then they realized that it was fucking ridiculous. And so they they reduced it to to a more more average seven. Uh, So, yeah, well done. Well done, Aussie. Next one, Envy. This is for, should be an easy one, this one. Big Cat Monarch. The Lion King. Yeah, well done, Dave. The Lion King. (laughs) Which eye is his scar on, Dave? Left. Spring eye. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, i'm gonna give a point to joel uh, but, also point to, but also point to dave on that one it is indeed his left one okay number five gluttony horror and hatred in sin city horror and fear and loathing in las vegas it is fear and loathing in las vegas dave you're running away with it um what is I know Benic- my sin <laughs> you do know your sin <laughs> and you're las vegas you know it well uh what is benicio del toro's relationship to johnny depp dr gonzo's relationship to raul duke uh is his lawyer <laughs> he is he is <laughs> uh, one of my favorite bits one of my favorite quotes is when johnny depp says he's going to go to las vegas benicio del toro says as your attorney i advise you to rent a very fast car with no top and you need cocaine, tape recorder, and Acapulco shirts. <laughs> one of the fucking best setups to any film in, in the world, that one. Right. Number six, Wrath, Juan Candle. John Wick. John Wick. John Wick. John Wick. <laughs> Dave again. Uh, how many men did John kill with a pencil, according to legend? 11. Oh. God. Four. Uh, he's not right. Ozzy, I'm going to give it to you. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess eleven. I can't remember that. Eleven foot. <laughs> <laughs> Shibble, uh, no, Shibble. He was in the pencil Dab, museum, uh, he had loads of pencils. <laughs> <laughs> he just bought a pack, a pack of coloring pencils. Doesn't he, doesn't he kill doesn't he kill three in in the scene like following it? He did, I think it's in the second one he kills it kills him with, with the pencil, pencil, doesn't he? Yeah. It, and do you know what, Ozzy, I'm gonna give you the point because it is three. Imagine the sort of horrors he could have caused if he'd gone to the Southport Lawnmower Museum. <laughs> Which, if anyone's not from the UK, you should really come and see. It is, it, it is Imagine fantastic. somebody in America listening to this going, that sounds fascinating, coming all the way to the England. <laughs> yeah, to yeah. To the, no, no, there's at, least, there's at least, the last time I went, which was uh, 20 years ago, there's at least uh, seven lawnmowers in there, from, that, from what I remember. Yeah. Me and Trevor went on one of our first dates. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not joking. There is, I'm going to say, about 70 lawnmowers. <laughs> oh, really? I'll be disappointed. And yeah, I'm the one who works five doors down from the lawnmower museum, and I've never been in. <laughs> oh, Dave, come on. Live life, Dave. Come you on. Go on my lunch break. <laughs> yeah, just bunk off one day and run in. <laughs> you tie around your head and <laughs> run around it. Okay, last question. Number seven, Sloth. William and Theodore's Fantastic Escapade. Bill and Ted's. Ted. Bill and Ted. Right, Ozzy, can you tell me how many uh, 
historic figures to be picked up. And can you tell me who? Oh, we had this in a quiz previously. Yeah, I think I remember. might have been my own question. Um, <laughs> but I do remember doing it, it. I was just, I was sort of hoping no one would remember it. Is it seven? It's not seven. No, Joel. Uh, there's, I, I get confused between the films, but there's Napoleon, Joan of Arc, yep. Socrates. Yeah. Um, is it Julius Caesar? No. You bring Lincoln? Yes. Lincoln, yeah. Sigmund Freud. Sigmund um, Freud. Freud. Uh, they got, um, is it Beethoven Mozart. or Mozart? I was Beethoven. Beethoven. Um, the guy with the big sword who keeps running around. Genghis Khan. Things. Genghis oh, Khan. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy in the toga. We got him, didn't we? Or did Socrates. you say Socrates? Socrates. Sorry. And uh, did you get the cowboy? Oh, yeah. Billy the oh, Kid. Yeah. Billy the Kid. Uh, eight. eight. There were eight. There were eight. And that is the end of my seven quiz. Thank you. I'm sorry, you can tell when you're off school, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, quiz. <laughs> definitely. You can see that was a bit of a low point during my day, wasn't it? <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to do the quiz properly this time. <laughs> uh, great. Thank you very much for the quiz. Thank you both, uh, all four of you, very much for your arguments. Um, I think it's pretty. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's quite it's a fun. I think there was quite a lot of passion on both sides, really, about what were where this could land. It strikes me that it is uh, a little bit gory, maybe a bit grisly, um, but a thriller rather than a whodunit, which I guess sort of lends itself to that style rather than you know a whodunit is kind of. I, I always think of a whodunit more of like a R.O. or a Columbo type of a. Of, you know story so you know you already kind of know what's going on you just got to try and work out who the person is so yeah I, it feels like maybe there's a few cliches within this in spite of it being um you know i think the defense said that it's quite a novel or it's quite you know it looks at things from a different perspective but sounds a little bit like a buddy cop movie in a thriller sort of dressed up but you know i love a buddy cop movie i absolutely love the other guys and if this is Dark version of the other guy. I believe you're comparing seven to the other guys. <laughs> Basically, it's, it's Turner and Hooch. Um, <laughs> a little bit more, a little bit more violence in the. The dog was really angry all the time. <laughs> no, it, 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 in all seriousness, it sounds like it. It sounds like it's well worth a watch. This film. It sounds pretty gruesome and clever. And maybe there are some areas which are a bit frustrating, and maybe there's some plot holes. But all in all, I think that that might be a bit of nitpicking from the the prosecution on this and all in all I think it's going to go on the hit list I think it's probably a good story and a, and a good watch Okay, thank you very much Ozzy very well summed up, honest opinions starting with Joel I quite enjoy it, as I said I watched it you know, when it came out and then I watched it again now, I don't think I've watched it in between that and I still enjoyed it and I think it holds up relatively well today you know, some of what you guys said is completely valid. Like, obviously, Brad Pitt isn't that great, but at the same time, I don't think he's terrible either. So I think it's it's definitely on the right list. Right, thanks, Joel. Dave? Uh, I agree with Joel. Definitely on the right list. I think it's a solid film, really well directed. I think it's well written. There may be a couple of plot holes, but like you say, that might just be down to the inexperience of the writer. The cast are pretty much faultless, apart from Pitt, who, yeah, you guys are right. He's not film-ruiningly bad. But he's not great. You could tell he was pretty early on in his film career. Uh, he is pretty hammy towards the end. But it's you put him alongside Morgan Freeman, Freeman can pull it back. You know, it, it does no real damage, no lo- lasting damage to the film anyway. So, yeah, definitely in the right place for me. Thanks, Dave. And Alex? Yeah, it's visually stunning as well. Like the um, it's like the, the, the sequences in the city, the way it like brings over the grittiness and the, the horror of, of where they live and just the relationship that like the characters have between them you know he's just moved to that new city that's like full of crime morgan freeman's kind of like you know can't take it anymore and kevin's all their different ways of reacting to the city that they live in and like the society just fascinating and uh brad pitt is annoying but i could see how paul someone might not find it annoying i think it is a bit bit of a matter of opinion on that one so uh yeah it's 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 almost no perfect so it's definitely on the hit list for me just before we get to you, Gav, I was actually quite surprised how well you kept your wrath 
hidden today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you'd be much more vocal yeah. and you know much more angry I, while yeah. I thought we'd this. still be on Brad Pitt now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I'm not gonna lie. I, I do think it is on the right list, but I. Yeah, I, I and I did enjoy it actually when I watched it, but I don't think it's as good as I remember it. I remember watching it and thinking this film is one of the best films ever made. And then is that when I, you were four, <laughs> yeah, when <it> was four. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, when when I watched it back last year, I was like, oh, actually, it's it's not as well written as I remembered. I think that some of the deaths and some of the murders are they do feel a little bit shoehorned in. It and Brad Pitt. And I know I, I don't, I've got a lot of gripes with Brad Pitt, and I think he is massively overrated. But he was truly awful in this, and and I think maybe that is me uh, because I I don't like, and I've noticed it in every other film that he's been in, and it's been like it's just a slow, hard, deep rage been boiling <laughs> inside of me that even the the sight of his face just sends me into a spiral. I, so I, I just pray that one day you're in an elevator somewhere. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Brad Pitt just walks in and you know that this is your moment just to say, I thought you were shit in seven. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I mean, You've literally like, stolen a career for the last 20 years, Brad. By all reports, he's a lovely guy and I, feel, I do feel really bad. But I just do not think he's a good actor. And I think that there are some films that are made a bit worse because he delivers a poor performance in them. And I think Seven, for me, is one of those films. And what's the top one where he's fucked up a film? Oh, I, I don't even want to. Th- I mean, most recently, Once Upon a Mr. Time and in Mr. Hollywood. Smith. I mean, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Smith would have been an excellent film. <laughs> it would have been in it. We would for have been totally fair. <laughs> Inglorious Bastards. Yes, I thought yes. would have been much better without Brad Pitt. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. To be fair, Gav has a point. <laughs> but yeah, apologies, Brad, if you're listening. But um, just do probably. It's like, oh, you know um, what? I, you know, I, I received some harsh criticism in uh, when you know um, Seven came out, and not a lot of people liked my performance, but. Um, uh, you know, I'm going to go back and listen to a couple of reviews now, looking back at it retrospectively. <laughs> and I, I imagine, you know, the podcast will end, the outro music will go on and he'll turn it off and he'll just look around his entirely huge mansion and the, <laughs> the helicopters and the right raft of cars outside and he'll go, do you know what? <laughs> Fuck him. <I'm laughs> <trying to> <laughs> <laughs> he, he was right. <laughs> I don't deserve any of this. <laughs> this empire that built, <laughs> has been built on lies. <laughs> I will remember that our last film on trial, which was Clue, <laughs> which scored 65% critical and 86% audience score on Rock Tomatoes. I think it's worth debating, isn't it? It's got to be higher. It's got to be higher. Well, audience score, massively so, 95%. But critical, 81%. I thought it was going to be much higher, to be honest. But yeah, 81% critical. You know, I read some of the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes in preparation for this. Because honestly, I didn't know what the hell I was going to say. And um, a lot of the bad reviews came out in 95 yeah. And I think oh, it's like okay. since then people have gone like, oh, maybe not actually. Maybe I was yeah. wrong. But maybe I don't think better. people <laughs> people didn't like it as much. At sure, sure what? I think, it was shocking. Yeah, I, I think it, it set off in motion a trend of films trying to be seven. And I think there were that many bad seven-like films mm. that looking back on seven, it's like a masterpiece in comparison. Yeah. I, th- I, I, I was, was actually it. reading like some of the alternative endings that you know were slated to happen. One of them was apparently Morgan Freeman, you know, Brad Pitt shoots uh, Kevin Spacey, then Morgan Freeman shoots Brad Pitt. I was just thinking, like, that would just be, like, so completely out of character (laughs) from Morgan Freeman's character. (laughs) I I think also what didn't do any favours are test audiences. Because apparently for the first test audience, they, like, basically handed out flyers on the street and basically said to people, do you want to come see a film starring Morgan Freeman in brackets, <laughs> Driving Miss Daisy, and Brad Pitt in brackets, Legends of the Fall? <laughs> so they got a load of people that were expecting light, airy, gentle films, and they had to watch the horror show that is seven. <laughs> Some seriously offended and upset people coming out of that test audience. So hmm. I don't think that did them any favors. I, I bet David Finch was like, great. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I was going for. I suppose that scene at the end when they drive into the desert is a bit like Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> 
Okay, right. So thank you very much, guys. Uh, good um, arguments once again. So this is the culmination of our Who Done It month, and next week we're going to be reviewing a current film. It's been pulled out of the hat at random, and it will be the Suicide Squad. So in defense of that will be myself and Ozzy. In prosecution is going to be Alex and Dave, and the judge is going to be Joel. And I think it, Suicide Squad is still the only film where I was defending it and I turned into prosecution. <laughs> 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 it, it, the, pre the pretense just couldn't be held up on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, just want to say thank you very much to everybody who's listened to this episode. If you like this episode, why not give us a good old five-star rating on Apple Podcasts? If you want more content, check out filmsontrial.co.uk. Follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, Films on Trial, or Twitter, at Film Trials. So that is it. Seven is a hit, and we're going to be deep in those ears next week with The Suicide Squad. Goodbye. <laughs> so, sorry, sorry, sir. I think one of the children is pooed in the pool. Uh, yeah, the children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>